I was in Tuesday's gate with Thanksgiving in my heart. Court with praise. I will say this a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with his praise. I will say this a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with his praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Before I, before I read anything, just a reminder that um, after the prayer, when it's time to start partaking, just kind of how you've been, we'll go row at a time on your side. So there should be stuff on each side. And if you run out, then go to the other side. But just safe and sorry. We have been mostly healthy. <laughs> and we'd like to stay that way. And considering the weather and the height of flu season, here we go. We're just going to, you know, well... I'm going to live in reality and still say it's the height of flu season, so <laughs> so just uh, be safe and sorry, so just go by row, give everybody their space. I ask that you would take your wafer and your cup back to your seat and wait till everyone has taken theirs, and then we will partake of the supper together. Does that make sense? Okay. That way we still do that. So with that said, those are your instructions. Let me read something good. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely that God, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It is a reminder as we enter into a new year that we always make resolutions and decide things we like and don't like about ourselves, but truly the only newness is in Christ. And as we get to celebrate the supper, we are reminded of his work, his covenant, his accomplishment to make us new, to reunite us with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our weakness has demonstrated your strength, for our foolishness has shown your wisdom, and by your work, we are your children. We ask, Lord, that as we partake of this memorial, we are reminded of your great accomplishment, that you would strengthen us for the walk ahead, that no matter what may befall us in this world, our eyes would be planted firmly on you, our hearts desiring your work, your word, and our feet swiftly moving down the path that you have paved before us, that we would be your faithful servants, seeking to honor you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Jesus told his disciples as he broke the bread that he desired to celebrate anew with them, and he awaited the coming of the kingdom. So as we partake, we remember the work of Christ, the 
the body that was given, but we also remember the body that will return, that the physical kingdom that will come back. So remember the work of Christ as you celebrate with And our covenant with God, the reconciliation of him accomplished through the blood of Christ, the symbol of the new covenant, the sealing, the cleansing, the reminder of what he has done, but also of the fulfillment that he will bring, that we are his, we will persevere, and that his kingdom will endure. If you would, let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for the reminders that you have given, for the lessons that you have taught for the accomplishment that you have made. Lord, strengthen us, hold us, keep us, and protect us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise his name. He is the Lord, forever if truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise his name. He is the Lord, forever if truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise his name. He is the Lord. Forever in truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. couple of things. First off, read your, uh, read your bulletin. It will do you well. See some information. You also see <laughs> birthdays. So if you want to wish somebody happy birthday, you have no excuse. They're in there. And if it's not in there, send Elena a message. Send me a message. We'll get it in there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We know which days to avoid now. <laughs> um, just a couple of things. Missions Project, uh, Pregnancy Care Center, shopping list is out there. Items go in the crib. We'll do that through the end of the month, probably into February. So you have been warned. And that information is also on here, so you can see that. Um, reminder, 
a lot of you returned. Yay, good to see you. We Sunday school is running. We are up and running. We had a lively discussion this morning. I think it's a good way to put it, right? So we had fun covering Leviticus, okay? If you can't have fun covering Leviticus, then, you know, you're probably normal. <laughs> but we did, so we're having a good time. So if you'd like to come to Sunday school, we get started 930-ish. So, <laughs> so there you go. Um, i got to stop closing my screen because that's where my notes are. Um, church council, stick around. We have council meeting today. Got a couple things we got to lay out. Uh, a couple things for our church calendar for the year. So please, 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 please hang around for that. That means I'm warning you now, business meeting is next week. So you have been warned. Stick around for business meeting next Sunday. And, ooh, update on people. Uh, spoke to Sam and Shelby yesterday. They are doing well. Sam just doesn't quite have the energy for extended outings yet. So they said, we won't be here this Sunday, but we're coming next Sunday. So you've been warned. <laughs> again, though, that's liable to change depending on how his week goes. I mean, it just depends on the energy and being able to get up. And it's not so much necessarily just his energy. Shelby's had her own health problems. So hopefully they will be back with us soon. If not, give them a call. They'd love to hear from you. And I was told to tell you that if you call, don't leave a message. Because I've done this a couple of times now. And something's his voicemail doesn't work, and she doesn't know how to get hers anymore. <laughs> so if you call and don't get them, call back. Because if you leave a message, you're, you're just wasting your time. So there you go. You have been warned. Anything else I'm forgetting? Yes, I, I see a head. Oh, I'm like, what are you pointing at? <laughs> you pointed, and I'm like, what is it? <laughs> it is not the first Sunday of the month, but Benevolent Fund, we do try to keep a running tally with that. So there are special envelopes. I say special because they have a big old B marked on them, B for Benevolent. That is the money we set aside each year for various causes throughout the year. So if people need help with moving expense or electric bills or, you know, gas bills, whatever, we have something set aside, we can at least help a little bit. So we keep running tally. We typically take that up on a Sunday when we do communion. So based on the tables and everything, that was today. So if you can contribute to Benevolent, thank you, thank you, thankful. I just ask that you uh, use those our, uh, envelopes marked with the big B on them. That way we don't me uh, mess it up. All right, anything else? Any other things that I'm forgetting? Any questions? All right. Who is described as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? <laughs> now, this was an easy one, right? But again, the important thing is, if you read your Old Testament, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? God is. What is your New Testament trying to teach you? Or one of the things your New Testament is trying to teach you? That the things applied in the Old Testament to God alone, to Yahweh himself, are applied to whom? They are applied to Jesus, explaining what? That Jesus is God in flesh. No, we're not going to try to explain this again because I've tried this on Sunday morning numerous times and I always make a hash of trying to explain the Trinity because my brain turns into a noodle, your brain turns into a noodle, the synapse is fried, and everybody looks cross-eyed, even Denny. <laughs> i got to throw you in there this time. <laughs> but the consistent teaching, who will accomplish God, the revelation of all of these things is a revelation of the work of God. So read your Bible, it will do you good. Don't say this one out loud. Shh. Children, shh. They've been the ones the last couple of weeks. How did the Lord lead the children of Israel when they left Egypt? I, yeah, I know these are easy these couple weeks. I'm easing you back into them. So, again, it's not so that you can sit there and win Bible Jeopardy. It's so that you actually can see the connection. So, read the reason for the question. Do some digging in your Bible. It is good for you. Mm -hmm. I know I'm a terrible person. I want you to read your Bibles. All right. So, there you go. We'll cover some of that next week. Anything else that I'm forgetting? Last chance. Going once, going twice, and I will stop talking. We can continue to stand and sing.
some glad morning when this life is up, like away to walk home on God's celestial shore. Today I went back to the place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before. And when they asked me what happened, I tried to tell them Thanks to you Calvary, I don't live here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. And thanks to Calvary, 
things are different than before. Now while the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them Thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. And then I went back to the place where we used to live My little boy ran and hid behind the door And I said, son Don't fear You've got a new dad Cause things to Calvary, I don't love you anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Now thanks to Calvary, things are different than and while the tears run down my face, I tried to tell them thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. bottle is not behaving today, it wants to roll around. Fine, stay there. Alright. Find all of the places, and I think that's everything. We get to the last plague today! Yay! Thought we were never going to get there. We've been waiting since November, but we are here. But, <laughs> we don't just dive straight into it, we get a couple of reminders. Not only do we get a reminder a couple times, we get a reminder of the reminder, which is good for Israel. And if it's good for Israel, guess who else it's good for? It's good for us as well. So as we have gone through this, as we have gone through all of the plagues, we have tried to draw a lot of the pictures for you. We've tried to make sure that you can see all of the different things that God is doing both here in Israel and through history. And I just know you have all of those memorized in your head because you remember everything that I say. 
Exactly. I'm lucky I remember what I say, so I don't expect you to either. Hence, we have reminders. What's going on here? What's our big picture? And ultimately, where are we going? Those things and more in Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 through 32. Now this day will be a memorial to you. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly, and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person that alone may be prepared by you. You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses, for whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, What does this rite mean to you? You shall say, It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then, then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go. Worship the Lord as you've said. Take both your flocks and your herds, as you have said, go to bless me also. <sighs> Much to do and less time to do it in, so. We'll dive right in, and it's going to be a water day. I drank a whole whatever this is during Sunday school, so I kept trying to make a point in Sunday school, and I'm like, I can't because I can't talk. Water. So hopefully we'll get through this together. Again, it is that time of year. So back to the beginning, verse 14. There you, there you go. Now this day will be a memorial to you. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. All right, time out. We almost should have got here and sprinted to get here before, you know, we took our break for November, but this didn't work out that way with calendar. Why do you have holidays? <laughs> Is it just an excuse to spend more money at the mall? 
and I know nobody goes to the mall anymore, but I don't know where else to shop at this point. So is it just an excuse to spend more money? No, it's supposed to be what? A reminder of things. Now, good holidays are reminders of what? Good things. Godly holidays are supposed to be reminders of what? Godly things. Go all the way back. God has ordained remembrances. Remember this. This goes all the way back to the creation. Genesis 1. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be, let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God wants you to be able to keep track of time. He wants you to be able to remember what day it is, what month it is, what year it is, what season it is. Part of that is because when you have months and days and years, you're going to have what? Things that are reminded, things to remind you in those months and days and years. Hopefully you will use those times to remind yourself of what? The things that God has done and the things that you should do in light of what God has done. Now, celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. This is one of those times where we get to have fun with the Bible because the word permanent here means guess what? Permanent! What is a permanent thing? Do you move permanent objects? No. Do you change permanent times? So I always like when you go to business meetings, um, one of the fun things, this is, this is a weird uh, nerd thing here. One of the fun things about going to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention is that it is the world's largest business meeting. It's, you know, between five and 12,000 people, depending on the year, gathered together for a church business meeting. Yeah, it's, you're like, that sounds awful. And I'm like, it's actually, in a strange way, kind of fun. And there's rules and regulations in an order that you have it. And when you get your program, there are some things in the program that are marked in bold type. You know why they're marked in bold type? They are permanent events. No matter what is occurring at that time, you know what we do? That thing. You can't move it. You can't postpone it. You can't. No matter how you change the program, you cannot change that event. It is a permanent event. Here we're getting a permanent ordinance of this Passover. Why? Why is this festival so important? Well, there's this whole lamb thing that we're going to deal with. What is the lamb supposed to point to? We covered a lot of this last week. I'll give you one simple reminder from one Bible verse. If you want to learn a Bible verse this week, learn John 1.29. The next day he, that he hears John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the lamb of God, who does what? takes away the sins of the world. If you don't know a Bible verse today, there's your Bible verse of the week. Learn John 1.29. Israel is supposed to not forsake this festival because this festival is a reminder of the redemptive work of God. It is a reminder that God has redeemed his people. He has passed over their sins. He will pass over the promised bloodshed, a good Bible word that the NASB uh, keeps. He's, he is not going to smite them. We need more smiting good word. If you don't, you don't get angry at people. Threaten to smite them. They'll, they'll look at you weird and leave you alone. You know, just life tip for Walmart. <laughs> don't make me smite you. What are you, a pirate? No, whatever. This Passover is meant to point to something bigger. Hence, Israel is meant to keep it because Israel is meant to point to something or someone bigger. We are still working our way towards the redemptive work of Christ. The lamb is a picture of that. It is, a, an, a, a, it is an object lesson teaching what Christ will do. Therefore, you don't forsake it. Besides the fact that God told you to do it, you don't forsake his pictures of salvation. So, verse 15. What more? Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, 
But on the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats anything leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. You ever read your Bible and say, what does God have against yeast? <laughs> like, like, what did the yeast do? All right, time out. Metaphor alert. Metaphor alert. It is a picture. It is a symbol of something. Why? Oh, why, 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 why? Does God simply not just pass over the houses of Israel without the lamb? Like, why can't we just send the angel of death that's going through? Why can't Yahweh go through the land of Egypt and know, okay, in that house there are my children of Israel. I will pass them over. I mean, does he not have this knowledge? Yeah, he has. He can, he can come up to your house on the street and go, Israelite, Egyptian, Egyptian, Israelite. I mean, he can do this. Why the blood? The, the leaven is part of this. What's for sin? Who has sinned? All. Who deserves death, therefore? Part of this is the lesson here. We covered this last week. The lamb is dying in place of your child, just as in Adam and Eve, an animal died as a covering for their sin, Genesis 3. Here, too, they, when, when they celebrate this, the lamb dies in place of their child. The lamb dies in place of the penalty that they should pay, hence the reason lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here, though, leaven. This is simple. When you make bread, what do you do? You mix your flour, you mix your water, you, and you put yeast in it because everybody wants what for their bread? Well, you're going to bake bread at home. Do you want hard flour? I mean, nobody wants to be the pirate rations and be like, ooh, hardtack. <laughs> You want what? Homemade rolls and, and breads are supposed to be light and fluffy. What does that? Yeast. So this is, are they being punished? No. Gen uh, Galatians chapter 5. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. But I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Matthew 16, Jesus gives you the same lesson. The disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Darn it. Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we didn't bring any bread. No, he didn't. We didn't bring any bread. Hey, don't, don't use the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <gasps> I mean, where are we going to get leaven when we go to make bread? No, it has nothing to do with bread. It has nothing to do with anything. Just as Paul uses the same example. It's a symbol of sin. How does sin corrupt your life? Does sin just envelop your whole life in one fell swoop? Just like swoops in on your house, covers it up, and, sw and swallows you whole? No, it does what? Just a little bit here, a little bit there. Little pulling here. That's probably the snow on the roof melting and sliding down. There was one piece on this side that was hanging low earlier, so that's probably the ice gets. It's fun when you're here by yourself during the week, and it does that. You're hoping. Yeah, start locking doors and checking things. Yeah, it's fun. So yeah, the odds are that's it. As long as there's no hole in the Sunday school rooms, we're good, and there shouldn't be. And if there is, we have a warranty. <laughs> if we can get anybody to honor it, that's always half the fun. Um, Sin doesn't just swoop in. Again, why does Satan not show up in a red unitard with pitchfork and horns and a, t and a pointy tail and dance around and go, follow me, let's go this way? Because if he did that, you would say what? Oh, look, there's Satan. Let's not do that. 
he disguises himself as an angel of light. Sin does the same thing. It corrupts. It lies. It deceives. It sneaks. It slithers. It looks at you and says, did God really say? And that's what sin does. A great example of this is bread. You make a big old pile of flour together, and you're making your bread, and you take big old piles of leaven, right? No. You buy your yeast packets at the grocery store now. They're like this big. And you make loaves of bread out of it. Because you just put a little bit in, set it off to the side, and what happens when left alone? Symbol for Israel. Reminder that, hey, your lives are totally to be dedicated to the God who has redeemed you. That's not just a lesson for Israel. That's a lesson for Christians as well. Remember that. How can we remember that? I got it. Object lesson. Don't put the yeast in your bread for a week. Just like that little bit of yeast makes all this bread. That little bit of sin, when left alone, does what? Makes all this death and destruction. It's a reminder in this festival that, hey, God has redeemed me from this brokenness. Therefore, I endeavor to honor him and walk rightly. I endeavor to seek to root out that little bit that I leave left around. I don't want to leave any of it. I don't want to surrender to the least little bit of it. I want to set it aside and cast it off. Now, time out. Remember this lesson. We will come back to it later, okay? Verse 16. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person that alone may be prepared by you. If you had to summarize what this day would be according to Israel's law that will come later, what day, what word would you use? They are to observe a what? A Sabbath. I mean, this, that's, this is what a Sabbath looks like. You're not doing any work. You're setting it aside as a holy assembly. Exodus 20, verse, uh, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to do what? To keep it holy. Now, time out. Is the point of the Sabbath so that you get to sleep in and not have to go to work that day? <laughs> Is that how we think about it more often than not? Yes. Remember the world that they are in. This is the first rule of, I say that a lot. There's like a lot of first rules of reading your Bible, aren't there? It's like A, 1A, 1B, 1C. One of, that's how we'll summarize, one of the first things you have to do in reading your Bible is get rid of you. Because if you don't, you will read it and go, I think, no, 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 that's why when someone comes to you, well, that verse means to me, no, no, I don't care what it means to you, I care what it means, and if I care what it means to any group of people, you know what I care about? What did it mean to the people who wrote it and read it the first time? Because if God is the ultimate author of scripture, and he is, then I care what he was saying to them, because when I understand what he was saying to them, I can then apply what he was saying to them to my world. Make sense? The point of a Sabbath was not just that you get to do no work. The point was a demonstration of not just worship, but of faithful trusting in God. Remember their world. If you don't grow it, you don't eat it. If you don't raise it, care for it, and kill it, you don't eat it. How Now, if that was your life, how many days a week would you check your garden? <laughs> how many times a day would you check your garden? Uh, you'd be like, you know, those, those beans aren't growing like I thought they would. It's been 20 minutes. Leave me alone. This is important. You would, care. would you just take an entire day and be like, I'm not going out to the field? No, that's 
There's a word for that. It would be suicide. Who makes the grass grow? Who makes the crops grow? Who protects your flocks? How do you know that? Because one day a week, you're going to devote a day specifically to him, and he's going to look over your flocks. He's going to watch your crops. He's going to ensure that they continue to grow, that disease and pestilence doesn't come upon them. It is not just a demonstration of, I get to nap. It's a demonstration of, I am actively trusting that God will provide, that God will care for these things. I am actively trusting that while he takes care of me, I can then take care of the responsibilities in my home and in my family that he's given. (laughs) Men, is there really a temptation for you to spend more time talking to your wife and teaching your family than there is to go to work and get things done? I mean, when men typically struggle, what do we struggle with? Getting stuff done. I got things to do. I haven't got time to deal with the children. That's what you're for. That's the typical breakdown. And I noticed the word I use for that. It is a breakdown. When we are devoted to work, when we are devoted to the things of this world, and we are not devoted to family, godliness, and discipleship, we have had a breakdown in our families. The Sabbath was a way to make you go, stop it. Sit down and teach your children. Sit down and pray with your wife. Sit down and care for your home, which is your first ministry. Why? Because this is the ministry that God has given. This is the discipleship that he has attended. This is why you won't go to work, but you will go to church instead. You will go to temple. You will go to synagogue. You will do whatever it is that you would do that day. You would gather with the elders. You would do the things to worship and honor God. Because that is also how you provide and protect and care for a family. That starts here. This is what this was for. And Christian, by the way, this never, ever changes. How should you live now? Resting where? In Christ. I've said this before, and I don't like it when I say it because it hurts. (laughs) You're going to be tired until God calls you home. To the end of time. Guys, you remember that day? You probably don't. Look look back if you're over 30 and you go, when did I just get tired all the time? <laughs> like, like, what happened? I, just, I don't remember it happening. I just remember one day sitting around going, I'm just tired. And it never went away. And it just didn't stop. And what do I want most of the time? I just want to rest so that I won't be tired anymore. And then I take a nap. And you know what I am when I wake up from my nap? I'm tired. And I slept a good night's sleep. And I woke up and 20 minutes later, I'm tired you're going to be until god calls you home because your rest is not here your rest is not in this place your rest is in christ your accomplishment is not here your accomplishment is in christ your hope is not here your hope is in a kingdom so you work notice what goes on on this assembly it's set aside as a holy assembly do you assemble at home by yourself no it defeats the purpose of the word which means israel is going to do what this day when they have this festival They're going to do something. That's not restful. I have to put on pants and go deal with other people. That's not restful. That's stressful. (laughs) Which means my day of rest is not a day of rest physically. It's a day of rest spiritually. It's a day of rest in my soul where I trust in God, worship him, and honor him. Nothing has changed. You still, I don't care how tired you are. I don't care how wore out you are. You have time set aside by God for God, by God, for a family, by God, for discipleship, because that is our charge in this world. All right, we got to 
hop off my soapbox and hop back into verse 17. All right, big chunk time. You ready? You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days, there shall be no leaven found in your houses, for whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's an alien or a native of the land. I kept pointing out all those times that the uh, counselors of Pharaoh were like, you know, maybe you should listen to this Moses guy. Keep pointing out the separation by God of Goshen and of his people and the work that he's doing in the demonstration of all of Egypt. This is why. Did you, did you, did you pick up on this when you read it the first time? Are there aliens in Israel's land right now? No. Israel are, or Israel is the aliens of the land. They're in the land of Egypt. But from the very beginning, God is preparing them for what? Their land, their nation, and in the midst of that, there will be what? People who are not you. He's in the midst of that preparing them that the message that they carry, the work that they do is not just a work for them. It is part of the promise to Abraham, a blessing to the nations. It's just a quick aside. We'll come back to that at another date. Um, where's verse 19? I lost my spot. I picked my hand up and lost my spot. Um, you shall not eat anything leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Now, this is why people skim through their Old Testament. I said the same thing like four times, didn't I? Yes. Why? Because Israel, like every other human being on the planet, is a stubborn and stiff-necked people. So we get a reminder. We get a picture. What are we being reminded of? That should be the thing that kind of starts gnawing at you in the back of your mind. God is continually reminding them of this festival. This festival is not about a celebration. It's about something bigger. Remember that. Again, we're not there yet, so we'll come back to it. Verse 21. Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and slay the Passover lamb. That was what was covered last week. There was a, a rundown on how to do it, when they should do it, and how and what and all that goes into it. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood which is in the basin, apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside, go outside the door of his house until morning. Now, Moses commands. Is there any doubt here for Moses? No, this is like, do what he said, go inside, and then do what? Stay there. <laughs> don't go outside. Stay there. Now again, if you are an Israelite and you have done everything that God has commanded, but you walked outside, does God going through the streets of Egypt go, oh, you're not inside. You must be an Egyptian and have to die. No. Again, he has this sort of knowledge. So why the command? Because God is preserving you. God is protecting you. How is he doing that? According to the way that he has declared. Do I get to live however I want and do whatever I want? No. This is not a means of salvation staying inside. It is a proof of salvation. That they trust what God has said. That they believe in what he has promised. That they fear what his judgment will look like. Therefore, when he says, this is how you are redeemed, you go, gotcha. <laughs> and I go and do that thing. Should there be doubt at this point? No. What have nine plagues been proving to the Egyptians and the Israelites? That he's serious about this. What they learned from Numbers. Uh, Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. 
has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken? Will he not make good? And the answer is yes. Yes, he will. How does Israel know that that is true? Because they've been standing there going, why do we have light and they're in darkness? Why do they have hail and we have sunshine? What, 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 what is going on here? Why are we alive and they have died? Because this is what God has done. He has separated and redeemed a people. You know that he will do this because every time he's promised something, he's done what? He has done it. Again, how blessed are we <laughs> that we stand on this side of things, that we are not in the midst of this, but that we know what God has promised, that we know that God will deliver and that we can walk faithfully trusting. Again, the breakdown when we fall away is not on God's part. It is on our part. So, 23. The Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. Again, we need, we need to describe smiting more often. To smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. This is the big lesson that this festival is reminding of. Now, if you think that the lesson is, hey, God didn't kill us because we slaughtered the lamb, you missed it. You missed it completely. The lesson is not that, hey, we didn't die. The lesson is God has redeemed us. There is more to it than a simple, we're alive, go team. Go back to chapter 3 of Exodus. The Lord said, I surely have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is one of the ways that the work of Exodus points to Christ. Could you summarize that by saying, I have looked down and seen the affliction of my people. I have seen them struggling in their sin and their inability to overcome it. I have heard their sufferings and their groanings for a redeemer. And I have come down to deliver them, that I may provide them with a kingdom that is good, that is pure. To a kingdom where there is no death, where there is no sin, where there is no destruction and mourning. See, this is the work of God beginning to end. Why do Adam and Eve walk out of the garden? Because God came in and went, smiting! Ah! No, because God came into the garden and said what? I've seen the affliction of my people. And there is a redemption that is coming. What does that redemption look like? It looks like a slaughtered animal to cover their nakedness. It looks like a family that is preserved under difficulty and sin in the world. Sin so great that God chooses to destroy all of it. But a redemption that says no. This family I will set aside. This family I will preserve. A redemption that says I will call from a man of idolatry, from a land of idolaters, and I will set him in a land that is not his own as a picture. There it goes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's that sheet of ice on the top roof finally melting in the sunshine long enough to slide down to the bottom roof. Ah, again, being here by yourself when that happens, you're like, ah! Suddenly, you're the personification of Revelation 6 that we read last week. The mountains are falling. It is a man plucked, placed in, redeemed, told you will be a blessing. It is all of these events working towards God's final kingdom. 
Israel is in the line of this. They are a part of this. This is how he works because this is who he is. Colossians 1. He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are redeemed. We are set apart. We are new, as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians. We are different. Therefore, we walk differently. We think differently. We live differently. Now, a couple of things, because this is where, you know, the History Channel theology will mess with you. So, does God need to see the blood on the lintel and the doorposts? I mean, is God going through Egypt like, okay, nothing here. Nah! Oh, blood. Nothing in here. Ah! No. Said this before, we'll say it again. It's what we call anthropomorphic language, which is, you know, a great Scrabble word. I don't think you can play that in Scrabble. Can you get enough letters? Is there even enough space in the board? Anthropomorphic is the idea of assigning human characteristics to non-human things. We'll just go with that. So again, fun example, a Bugs Bunny cartoon is anthropomorphic. Rabbits do not walk upright and talk. Bugs Bunny is an anthropomorphic rabbit. We use anthropomorphic language to describe God because we don't have a choice. I, I do not understand God, and that's good news, because if I could understand him, it would prove that he's a creation of humanity. But since I cannot understand and explain him, it shows that he actually originates beyond my own brain, which is very, very good news for me. So how does it work that I have to put the blood out as an act of faith, and then God uses that? Well, he sees it, quote-unquote. You'll see this. Throughout scripture, you go back to the flood, Genesis 8. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This is his sacrifice after coming out of the ark. And the Lord smelled the aroma, of the, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Is God sitting there storming back and forth in heaven, and Noah lights the sacrifice, and the aroma drifts up to heaven, and he's like, and now I'm calm. No. Why do we describe it like that? Because I don't know how else you explain God. So we made the sacrifice. God sees the sacrifice. God knows the sacrifice. And therefore, he works in... The word just went right out of my head. So you know what? He works in concert with who he is and what he's accomplishing. Now, first thing. Second thing, why the blood then if God doesn't need to see it? You know who does need to see it? You do. And your neighbors need to see it. And the people you're going to testify who are lost in judgment need to see it. They need to know and they need to understand. This is one of the lessons you'll get from the book of John. John chapter 12. My soul has become troubled. This is Jesus preparing for what's uh, for the crucifixion coming. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd of people who stood by heard it and were saying that it had thundered. And others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said, the Lord, the voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Judgment is upon this world and the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Did Jesus doubt that God was going to glorify? No. Did everybody else? Hence, God provides what? The voice. God provides a means by which Jesus can testify, and they will have no doubt. Verse 24. You shall observe this event as an ordinance for you 
and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshipped. Did you notice the discipleship aspect here? Why are we having a festival? Holidays are what? Reminders. Good holidays are reminders of good things. And there are, maybe I shouldn't say it like this, but there are bad holidays, right? There are, there are bad remembrances that we do on a regular basis. I mean, every year the news stops and we have a moment of silence on September 11th, right? Is that a happy occasion? Are we all like, oh, yay, it's September 11th? No. For older generations, for like my grandfather, that day was in, uh, was in December, Pearl Harbor. Remember that year. Remember that day every single year. Remember June every single year for D-Day, for Pearl Harbor. They're not happy remembrances, but they are what? Remembrances. You need both. This is not, I don't think this is happy or sad. This is godly. It's a godly remembrance so that generations down the road, why are we killing a lamb and having flat bread? Ah, let me tell you about the work that God has done. Not unusual for Israel. This is their purpose. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The question, can you do that well when you are spending every waking minute and hour of your day making sure you don't starve to death? No, you cannot. Now you understand why there's a Sabbath command. Work, survive, live, do it well. But when the time comes to train and teach your children to worship God, to observe communion, to handle things with family, to make disciples, do what? Do those things and trust that God will provide. Again, seasons come, seasons go. I worked for two years in a job where for a year and a half of that job, I worked open to close every single Sunday. Every single one. Can't, I would get up, go to work, Cameron would come in for breakfast, go to church, come back to, come back to the restaurant from church, have lunch, tell me about what happened. We'd talk about it later when I got home. For a year and a half. Was that evil? No, it was my life. If I do that for 30 years, do I have a problem? Yeah. Work something out. Call your boss. Look, I gotta have a Sunday off every once in a while, dude. Like one here and there. It was always hysterical. The reason I was always working is because the guy I was second in command, or the guy who was first in command couldn't work on Sundays because he had to be in the choir. <laughs> it was such a priority that he could sing in the choir that I never got to go to church. I never quite understood how that worked out. But anyway, goes to show you how quickly we can blind ourselves and follow things. God provides. Make time. And if you can't do it on a Sunday, then do it on a Monday, do it on a Wednesday, do it on a Saturday. Do something, but disciple, grow, pray, read your Bible, devote time. You may have to work to carve it out. You know what you should do? Work to carve it out. But I'm tired. I get that. I also don't care because you know who else is tired? I am. I'm tired. And you know what I have to do? The same thing. Because you know what my temptation is? My temptation is to spend all my time teaching who? 
You guys. And you know who gets lost in that shuffle? Not just me, but my family. I ain't got time to do this. You Make time. It's important. And this is what God is doing. This isn't just a festival where you set yourself off in the corner and remember what God has done. This is a festival set for what? So when your kids tug on you and go, why are we doing all of this? It's time to tell you a story about God and what he has done. Now, this is important because if we do not take this time, do you know what all of our works in Christ become about? Better yet, do you know who all our works in Christ become about? See, and this is the warning that we get. Because if I am unwilling to disciple, if I am unwilling to set aside the time, what I'm really doing is slowly but surely making this about building me up. Now look, do you need to be built up? Yes, yes you do, you do. You need to prepare, you need to train yourself, you need to learn, you need to be built up. But, just like I say with that trivia question every week, is the goal of this that when you play Bible's trivia, that, you know, when you roll the dice and they ask you a question, you go, um, wom, wom, then there's the answer. No. The goal is that you learn some information so that you will do what? Apply it. Teach. See the bigger pictures. The goal is that you are always growing so that you are always instructing. Always. This is why I keep buying books, because I need to keep learning, so that I need to keep growing, because what do I keep doing? Keep teaching, and eventually if I keep teaching you only, and I'm only here, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you to this point, and then we're all going to do what? We're all going to stay there. But if I keep going, I can keep dragging and going and dragging. And you know what? That means there's people dragging me along just in the same way. Jesus gives you this warning. Matthew 6, part of your Sermon on the Mount. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Or, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. It says also, when you fast, don't be gloomy, but take a shower. Put on good clothes so that nobody knows you're, pa- you're fasting. And the question you should ask is, why? I'm doing all of these things. I'm praying, I'm giving, I'm fasting. How is anybody going to know I'm godly if I don't do all of this? <laughs> if I don't tell you? Like our, it's like our joke about CrossFitters. How, how will you know somebody's a CrossFitter? They'll tell you. <laughs> Becca's over there going, yes, yes, they will. I won't pick on you because you're the other one. No, no. How will you know somebody's a vegan? Because they'll tell you. Be like, I don't eat that. Why not? Because I'm vegan. Okay. Chicken nuggets? No. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. <laughs> Cameron went to high school with a girl that tried to claim she was vegan, but except for what hot dogs, hamburgers, and chicken nuggets. <laughs> He's like, I don't eat meat, but hot dogs are okay, and so are so are burgers. Then you're not a vegan anyway. <laughs> yeah. How will you know these people occupy these categories? Because they'll tell you, Christian. How will they know if you're not demonstrating your godliness? Why are you so tired? Because I've been on a fast, and when I skip dinner, I take time to read my Bible and pray. And I set aside my 87 hours of quiet time each week. <sighs> Aren't they so godly? Doesn't work like that. Why not? Because they have the reward. Because who sees? God sees. So here's the question. How are they going to know that I'm godly? Because let's be honest, we want them to know, right? How else will we get to testify? No one's ever seen you all happy in Walmart, you know, just walking along and be like, 
look at that person. They have their life all together. Please, person, tell me about Jesus. That doesn't work. First Peter 2, though. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they may observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is where church history is an awesome teacher, because you can go back to persecution in the Roman Empire, and you come up with the reasons why Romans were persecuting Christians, and it's like, really? That, that, that was your answer? Okay, whatever. And then you come across little nuggets like a guy named Pliny, who was a governor over a territory, and he sent a, he sent a letter off to the emperor because he's like, you know, I, I think I'm supposed to be killing Christians, but I don't know why. <laughs> like, I bring them in, and I question them, and they're, they're good citizens, and they, they pay their taxes, and they don't cause any trouble, so what should I do? Should I kill them or not? And you're kind of like, wow, that's what Peter's talking about right there. I'm bringing them in because it's illegal, but I don't know why it's illegal and i don't know what's illegal and i don't know what the problem is so and the emperor told him you know what if you find them kill them but don't go hunting for them it's not worth it <laughs> that was his answer so if you find them since it's illegal kill them but you know what don't go hunting that's what he's talking about and even when they were rejoicing in the death of christians do you know what one of the most powerful testimonies was christians going to their death praising god because like if he can strengthen you through that i want to hear more about this there's actually multiple stories from church history of executioners. Like the dude with the axe chopping your head off and being like, I can't kill this guy for being a Christian. Why not? Because I've been listening to him preach and now I'm a Christian. <laughs> and people are like, well, fine, get on the block too. And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> That's your good deeds. It's not a matter of celebrating your godliness. Your godliness is a means of pointing to who? Christ. Your godliness is a means of pointing beyond you. This is discipleship. Why are we celebrating this festival? Because there is a God who has redeemed us. He has preserved us as a people. He has set us aside for the worship of his name. And you need to know who this redeeming and saving God is. There you go. Verse 28. So then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. This happens so little in the Bible that it's like, yay! They did it. God told them to do something, and they did it. This is when you need the button to flip, and the hallelujah chorus comes up. Hallelujah. Yay. You know, we have another word for this. It's called wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why is Israel doing this? Because if you don't, what's happening? What's coming? Smiting. Anybody want to be smited? Difference between being smited and being smitten. i got to make sure I get my words in there. Do you want to be smited? No, I do not. Therefore, when God says, this is what you do to avoid smiting, I go, all right, I was taking notes, and let's go do this. So, verse 29. It came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. All right. Ask our question from last week. Why? One, because this is what he's promised, Exodus 12. I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt, and I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Why? Because it's a reminder, and it's a lesson to those who are left. Hebrews chapter 10. 
If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume its adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's why this is here. What does judgment against sin look like? This is why the flood. This is why the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. What does judgment against sin look like? Looks like nothing I want any part of. Looks like something that guards me, warns me, and strengthens my soul so that I walk rightly. Notice the words of, of Hebrews. When you reject the work of Christ, it is not just a rejection of a single act. It is a rejection of the purpose of human history, a rejection of the work of God in history, a rejection of the mediating work of the Spirit. It is a complete, uh, probably shouldn't say it like that. I'll say it like this. It is a complete fist shaking at God with probably the state hand signal of New Jersey drivers attached to it. <laughs> that's what it is to reject Christ. It is not a, eh, I like going this way instead. And that's what we have to remember. The rebel sinner is not just choosing a different path. They are actively looking at God and saying, no, I will not. That's the lesson of Romans 1. There's none who are ignorant. They know that God is there, and they reject the truth of him in unrighteousness. When they are told, they hear, and when they hear, they go, uh-uh, get away from me. I know best. May it never be. May it never be. So, the aftermath, verse 30. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. I don't think I need to add anything to that. I think the way that that stands on its own, because if you've been thinking about this and picturing this in your mind, you can imagine a nation in mourning. So he called for Moses and Aaron and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and bless me also. Remember where Pharaoh's come from. He was the mocker of chapter 5. He was the one who, chapter 10, threatened Moses. If you see me again, you will die. One, Moses saw him again. Two, he called him in to tell him to get out. No death. No threats. It's empty. Pharaoh is almost broken and defeated. And you know why I say almost? Because you know what someone who's broken and defeated looks like and sounds like? Job 42. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here now, I will speak, I will ask you, and you instruct me. For I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and therefore I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. That's somebody who saw God, understood God, and went, my bad. Yeah, I'm good. No, thank you. Pharaoh just wants Israel what? Gone. Get out. You and your God leave. That's not broken. That's angry. And you'll see that in Pharaoh's actions as we move forward. This is a warning. 
why does Satan even use it? You, you ever ask that question? <laughs> you ever thought through, like, he can't win. And you know who knows he can't win? He does. He's been around a lot longer than me. If I can read and understand the Bible and what's coming, you know who else can do the same thing? He can. And he knows it better than I do because he can twist and contort it and tie it in knots and pretzels because in order to twist something, you first have to know what is true about it in order to know how to subtly and gently twist it. And yet he continues. Why? (laughs) See, I don't think he's dumb. I think he's lost. Because what does a sinful heart want? Sinful heart wants what the sinful heart wants. And if the sinful heart wants to rebel against God, there is no logic, no rationale, no wisdom, no threat that you can make that will turn that sinful heart. We have to remember that in this world. We have to. You can't win the argument with logic and reason. You win the argument with the grace and mercy of Christ revealed by the preaching of his word and the testimony to his greatness. It's the Holy Spirit that changes the hearts and minds of men, not me, not you, not our cleverness. This is why I urge people so often, read your Bible. Because when you go into the world of ideas, I don't care how much you couch your biblical foundation, if you try to use their words, you know what they're going to call you? You can probably imagine. They will call you stupid. They will call you ignorant. They will probably call you worse. Why? Because they don't care. They don't want it. I can't change your mind unless I first change your heart and your soul. And that's the work the Holy Spirit does. That's why we have to be unapologetic as to who we are and why we are that way. It's also why we have to be careful how we interact because guilty right here. I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else. So I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. It's really easy to look at the world and go, I don't like these people. And a lot of times I don't just not like them. And a lot of times I won't look at them and go like, where's my smiting? Like, I, 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 I need some death of the firstborn here, all right? I, I need some flood and some fire from heaven. Why? Because I think their sin's worse. <laughs> See, when you admit that out loud, it hurts because you realize what you just said. We look at them and we go, how could they? They sinned. As, as I told a, a woman who taught third through fifth graders, you mean sinning pagans are acting like sinning pagans. And you were surprised. And she's like, I never thought of it that way. I thought of these little 11 and 12 year olds as sweet and innocent. I'm like, well, they may be. But they're still dirty, rotten sinners that need the grace of God. Just like my children and your children and everybody else's children. So when we see the world, we have to be careful. We have to soften our hearts. And we have to prepare our minds and realize that we don't win by being angry. And we don't win by being smarter. We win by being faithful. We win by walking rightly, trusting that God provides, trusting that God secures, that he will hold us up. And that no matter what may befall us as we walk faithfully, that we walk faithfully. I looked at the events of this past week. I looked at people at the Capitol and I thought, you know what? I get it. I get it. Because if you look at those people and you think, They think an election was stolen from them, and there is no recourse. Look, I'm not saying I agree with them, but I can understand it. They think that it is stolen, and there is no recourse for anything that they would do. And if this world is everything to me, what else should they do? 
They should do exactly what they did. Christian, this world is not everything to me. So I can look at the hatred. I can look at lying and cheating politicians. And by, and by the way, I'm one that if you're a politician, I think you're lying and cheating. <laughs> I don't trust most any of them farther than I can throw them. And some of those boys are kind of big, so I can't throw them very far. Why do I not get all in a rancor 27 times a day? Because this world is not my home. This place is not all that it is. But don't you see what they're doing? Yes! But don't you see what God is doing and who he is redeeming and who he is saving and what he has called me to? He has called me to love this world and the people in it, even though I am not from it and I am not of it because I am different. But because of his grace and his mercy, he has called me to testify to his goodness, to walk faithfully, and to proclaim his mercies eternally. So when I see that and I look at the events of this past week, I go, no! Just like when I looked at the events of last summer, and I can say, you know what? From your worldview, I can see why you think all cops are racist, evil people. I get it. No! You're wrong, they're wrong, you're all wrong, because there is something greater at work and at play. And if we as God's people don't tap into that on a regular basis, we are no better, and we are just as lost as they are. But we have the Holy Spirit. If we are in Christ and we have turned from our sins, we have been empowered and set to work that we may walk in this place as strangers and aliens, proclaiming good news, proclaiming a salvation that redeems from the brokenness of this place and sets on a path to a kingdom that is good. That's why my prayer was what it was when we took communion. There is a faithful walking to a good land, a good government run by God with no lying politicians in it with no hatred with no animosity no us versus them just us and God and if we don't see the world through that lens we've missed it and if we don't proclaim our salvation through that lens we've missed it which means we have not stood on the foundation of scripture we have stood somewhere else don't do that stand on the word stand on who we are and how we got there because if we don't we failed to put the blood on the doorpost. We failed to trust the warning. We failed to heed the judgment that is coming. And we are no better than they are. We have lied to ourselves. Walk and trust in him and proclaim him because he is the one who saves. He and he alone. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have given, for all that you have provided. That even in the midst of this world, in her struggles and in her difficulties and in her lost sin, that you have proclaimed your goodness, that you have redeemed a people and that you have empowered us. Lord, continue that work, that we would know you, that we would walk faithfully, seeing this world rightly as a temporary home, not getting caught up in the trials and tribulations of this place, Lord, but standing above the fray, proclaiming what is good and just and right. And Lord, when we fall, forth, fall, fall short, pick us up and carry us to the day of completion in your Son. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice.